Well, good morning. I'm glad y'all decided to join us here on the first day of the, our first Sunday. I don't guess it's the first day of this year, is it? And so, glad y'all are here this morning. If you would be taking your Bibles and turning with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, as we continue walking through this Gospel and continue uh, walking through what John wants to show us. If you remember the whole purpose of John's gospel, he's made it very clear. He said, the reason I wrote this, the reason I wrote the things that I wrote in my gospel, what God led him to write, what the Holy Spirit inspired John to write, the whole purpose of it isn't up for debate. He tells us what it is. It's that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. And so that's the reason why we're studying John's gospel, so that we would know what it means to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the very Son of God, and that we would know what it is to have life in his name. And so we're going to pick back up in John's gospel in chapter 9 this morning. Before we do, I, I want to kind of catch you up to speed what's been going on uh, up to this point. And so let me re-preach the last 11 sermons in about a minute and a half. Uh, <laughs> I can do it. Y'all are doubting me. I can do it. Uh, so, you remember, John opens up his, his gospel with what we call the prologue, the first chapter of John. He tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that Jesus is not only, uh, was not only at the beginning, he was before the beginning. He's always been. He was part of creating everything that we know. Remember, nothing that was made was made without him. And then John goes on to tell us that the Word became flesh and tabernacle, dwelt among us. He is not only the, the Word, He's also the light or the life of men, and in Him the light of men. He shines into the darkness. He shines into this world. Well, that's what we're going to pick up on here uh, in John chapter 9 this morning is the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. In chapter 8, verse 12, He says, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows Me will not walk in darkness, but in Him will be the light of life. And so that's what he tells us in John 8. Well, this creates a problem for him with the religious leaders. See, when he says that, they're like, yeah, but you're bearing witness to yourself. We don't believe you. In fact, we're not even sure who your dad is. Remember, Jesus was born of a virgin, right? And so this stigma follows him his whole life with the religious elite that Mary stepped out on Joseph. We're not even sure who Jesus' dad is. We don't even know who your dad is. Well, Jesus... He's really good at comebacks. And so he looks at them and he says, yeah, but I know who your dad is, Satan. <laughs> uh, and so he, he says to them, uh, you will have the truth, the truth will set you free. And they're like, yeah, but we're children of Abraham. We've never been in bondage to anyone. We've never been in slavery to anyone. And they're like, he's like, yeah, you have been. You're in slavery to sin because your father is the devil, the father of lies. So you can imagine this going back and forth. And they're like, and then he goes on and he says, In fact, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, How did you know Abraham? You're not even 50 years old yet, my man. Like, how are you knowing who Abraham is? And he says, Before Abraham was, I am. Sort of drops the mic on him and says, Yeah, I am. Remember how God reveals himself to Moses. Moses says, What will I call you? How who will I say sent me? And he says, tell him I am that I am sent you. He reveals his name to Moses. I am Yahweh. I am. I am the self-sufficient one, the, the all-powerful one, the all-eternal uh, one. Jesus says, that's who I am. And they 
get his meaning. They understand what he means. In fact, they try to kill him, but he passes through the middle of them. And so we come to John 9, and he picks back up this theme of, I am the light of the world. And so what I want us to see this morning is the story that is every Christian story. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And so first off this morning, we're going to see that Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. He gives hope to the hopeless. We see this in verse 1. John 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a blind man. He saw a man blind from birth. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I pray that as we open up your word and study it together, God, that I wouldn't get in your way. God, that the distractions in our hearts wouldn't get in the way. But God, that we would truly hear from you, that you would speak to us through your word, that in spite of me and in spite of the world around us, in spite of everything that's going on, God, that you would open up our eyes to see you, that you would open up our eyes to see you more and see you more vividly. Lord, help us to follow you more. Help us to trust you more. Grow us in your grace. Teach us to be faithful to you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so he gives hope to the hopeless, and we're going to see this as he heals this blind man. You've got to think about who this blind man is. Think about his options. He's born blind. So what are you going to do in a culture that has no social uh, ability to help you? Like, there, there's no programs. He can't go apply for disability. He, there's no one who's going to marry him. He has no status socially. He literally has no hope. He sits out on the corner and sticks his hand out for people to put money in it. That's his only option. That's a legitimate way for people in his state to make money. I, uh, that's the only option they had. Why? Because he's hopeless. What is he going to do? There's no braille. He can't read. There's nothing. There's nothing that he is able to do outside of sit there and wait on someone uh, to bring him something to eat, bring him money with which to buy bread. He is a hopeless person. Which brings up an interesting question in verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so these disciples are struck with curiosity when they look at this man. They don't see, see him and have compassion. They have curiosity. And they bring up an important question for us. See, sometimes we, even as believers in Christ, we begin to believe in, in karma. You know, what goes around comes around. Well, so, so that was sort of their idea. Someone must have messed up that caused this man to be born blind. Either he messed up before he was born or his parents messed up. That's the only explanation they offer. Guys, that, that's a really bad way to look at the world. I want you to think about it this morning. If what goes around truly comes around, then everything you've ever done is coming back around to get you. We really don't want that. If we stand before God, and He pours out on us everything we deserve, it's going to be bad. I remember in the first church I served, uh, there was a guy, I'd ask him how he was doing. I'd say, Brother Phil, how you doing? And his response was always, Brother John, if I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell with the broke back. Now, I don't know what the broke back represented. I mean, you're in hell already, but, but that was always his response. And his response was, I'm doing way better than I deserve. If I get what I deserved, I'd be in hell with a broke back. Guys, that's, that's the mindset of these disciples is what we get is what we deserve. No, it's not. We have 
gotten far more than we deserve as far as blessings goes and far less than we deserve as far as punishment goes. And so he, they say, who sinned? And so Jesus gives an answer in verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, not as coming when no one can work. Here Jesus' answer. His, he gives us a framework to think about suffering. Now, is it true that some suffering is absolutely a result of our sin? You better believe it. Like, every time I put on my pants and they're tighter, that's my fault, unfortunately. I've been trying to blame it on my age. Like, maybe it's water, whatever. I don't know. It's probably all the little Debbies you get, bro. Like, you know, come on. But I've been working out this week. I expect to be fully losing all my weight by next week, so y'all just wait. But, but anyway, I was a little disappointed when I worked out all week and I didn't lose any weight. But um, maybe next week. But, but we, we suffer because of what we do very often. Our sins do come with consequences. Not sure if you're aware of that or not. But if you're speeding on the way home and you get a ticket, guess whose fault that is? Yours. Yeah. Let's take some responsibility. But, but at the same time, that's not the purpose of suffering. The purpose of suffering is not for us to look at people and pick apart why they're going through what they're going through. The purpose of suffering is to look on them with compassion and pray for them and ask the Lord to intervene in their lives. Jesus says that when we go through suffering, it is for the purpose of God's works being displayed in us. You think about what Paul says in Romans 8 when he says all things work together for good for those who, are who, are, who love God, who are called according to His purpose. He doesn't mean you're going to like everything that ever happens in your life. What he means is, is everything that you go through is an opportunity for you to glorify God in the middle of it, for you to be made more like Christ in the middle of it, for you to suffer well and praise His name even as you go through this suffering. He doesn't mean everything that happens to you will be what you want. In fact, we know that's actually the opposite of the case very often. But Jesus looks on this man, and instead of asking whose fault it is, he simply fixes it. You've got to love this about Jesus. He doesn't look on him with curiosity. He looks on him with compassion. And so look at um, verse 5. <clears throat> as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Remember I said he's coming back to this thing. Having said these things, he spit on the ground. Like, I, I got to tell you, John chapter 9 is one of my favorite chapters in John's gospel, maybe in the whole Bible, just because it's full of lots of cool things. Like, Jesus is like, I'm the light of the world. <laughs> like, he just spits on the ground. Like, you can just picture that. Like, what? <laughs> you know? And not only does he spit on the ground, he then begins to make mud out of the spit. Like when I was a kid, we made mud balls. I don't think I ever made a mud ball out of spit. Y'all ever made a mud ball out of spit? That's kind of gross, isn't it? Like he spits on the ground and he begins to make mud. You can just picture Jesus doing this. I'm the lie of the world, boys. <laughs> Makes mud. And then he takes the mud out of his spit and rubs it on this dude's face. Like you're rubbing your spit mud on my face, really? Like, seriously, this is what's going to happen? And so he takes mud, he rubs it on this guy's eyes, and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Gee, thanks, I didn't know I need to wash spit mud off my face, right? So he goes and he washes. By the way, the, the name of this pool is Siloam, which means sent. He sends him to wash. And he went and washed, and he came back seeing. Jesus heals this man just through putting mud on his face and telling him, to go wash. Now, I do think there's some symbolism going on here. Remember how God made people. He took the dirt of the ground and He breathed life into them. 
He made the first man he took from the ground and he made Adam. That's what Adam means, dirt. Like, he made dirt. He took dirt and he made a person. Jesus here takes this mud and rubs it on this man's face. I think to remind us who's actually in control. To remind us that he actually has power over us. Power to heal us. To change us and make us new. You think about when Moses is standing before God and God says, Moses, go and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses' response is, I can't talk good. I stutter. And God's response to him is, do you not know who made your mouth? Do you not know I can fix it and make it so that you're able to do this? We're reminded here that our Savior, our Lord, made us from the dirt. And he can transform us, which is what he does with this man. He comes back seeing. then look at verse 8. We see Jesus' power is so great. His power is so great that after he gets a hold of us, we're barely recognizable. Look at verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. And so the question here, is this really the guy? Well, he kind of resembles him. Maybe he's his cousin. Y'all know my cousin Justin that comes sometimes and we look like brothers, you know. Like maybe he's his cousin. He kind of looks the same, but he can't be the same. He was blind. That guy who used to sit over there begging, he was blind. This can't be the same God. They are so blown away by the power of God at work in this man's life. They have to assume he's a different guy. This is one of the the coolest things about salvation, guys. Jesus takes us and he transforms us into who he wants us to be. He fits on our eyes, sort of, not really, but kind of. One of my favorite uh, stories to tell is about a, a guy named Tom. Tom was a guy who started coming to church when we were in North Carolina. He was in his 70s. He had uh, MS, and so, he, you know, he had a lot of trouble getting around. He came around, and he, when he came, he, you know, he had to use a walker to get in. He was, a, he was in a lot of pain. And I remember he started coming because he had rented an apartment from one of the people who came to our church, and so they invited him, and so Tom started coming. And I'd go to see him and talk to him. And I guess it was a month or so after he started coming to church pretty regular. He began to tell me, he said, you know, something's different about me. I used to be mad and I'm not anymore. He's like, in fact, the other day at dinner, I asked my daughter if I could pray. He's like, I haven't ever done that before. He didn't live with his daughter, but his daughter saw him often. And, and his daughter actually knew one of the ladies in our church. They were nurses together. I think that's how he ended up getting an apartment. But, but anyway, his daughter told this woman who came to our church, she said, you know, my dad's not the same man. He used to be so angry. He used to be so mean. And now he's full of joy. I don't get it. I went and Tom said, hey, can I have a Bible? He, he didn't even have his own Bible. Then we started talking about, he, he didn't even know how to express the fact that Christ had come into his heart and how he had asked him to save him. He didn't even know how to talk about that. When I started talking to him about baptism, he's like, what's that? What do you mean you're going to dunk me in water in the middle of the church? How are you going to do that? Like he, He'd never seen any of this, but God completely transformed Tom's life. Guys, it's no different than any one of us. We were blind, and now we see. We were lost, and now we're found. We were dead, but now we're alive. I remember before I moved to go to seminary in Memphis, I was working at Pack Plaza at Pawn Shop here in town. This has been a long time ago. I don't remember what year it was, but as I was getting ready to go, a guy that I used to run around with came in there. And he's like, hey, 
what are you up to, man? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm getting ready to go to, to school. I'm going to be a Baptist preacher. This dude laughed in my face. He's like, <laughs> that's what he did. You know, you get a picture. Because I wasn't always, you know, this well-dressed and such. I was a pretty rough guy. And this guy knew I was a rough guy because we used to do a lot of rough stuff together. It had been about a year since I'd seen him. And he laughed until I re he realized I was serious, and then he left pretty quickly after that. But, but he did not have a category for someone who was one way, and that was totally different. Guys, Christ changes us to the point that sometimes we're barely recognizable. These people don't even understand. They're trying to, to explain it away. Surely this isn't the same guy. Look at verse 10. They said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? If you're the man who was blind, how are your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. I love this guy. Now you, they're like, how, was he, how, how did you get your eyes open? He's like, He put mud on my eyes, told me to wash them, I did, and now I can see. I mean, matter of fact, right? Totally opposite of most of our, our news organizations today. They sensationalize everything. And he's like, I don't know. Dude put mud on my eyes, I washed it, now I can see. I don't know what to tell you. Verse 12 is hilarious as well. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know, I was blind. <laughs> right? What did he look like? I don't know, I was blind. <laughs> like I couldn't see. Now I can see. So, but but we, we see this picture here of this guy's life being completely and utterly transformed. And we're going to see it more as he continues to, to learn more of Christ. And the same thing is true in our own life, guys. We're no different than the blind beggar on the side of the road. We are hopeless to change our, our condition. Jeremiah tells us that the leopard would have a better shot at changing the spots on his back than we would of changing our ways who are used to doing sin. We are hopelessly lost before an eternally holy God, and we are headed for destruction. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent the light of the world into the world to redeem us and save us and transform us and give us our sight. And so we see how confusing this is for everyone else. Second point this morning is Jesus bewilders the blind. He bewilders the blind. Me and Jonathan were discussing alliteration this week. I was trying, I'm on an alliteration kick for whatever reason. It's like, is it bewilders the blind or offends the obstinate or stumps the stubborn? Well, however you want to put it, the people who refuse to believe won't believe. They're going to be confused by what's going on. Because they cannot see Jesus for who He is. There's something blocking their sight. I think I've shared with you before uh, that when we lived in North Carolina, we experienced a plague. It was a terrible plague. Like over there, they had mosquitoes. They're not that... Well, at least where we lived, they weren't that big. They didn't have any chiggers, which was amazing. But they had a plague of what I call devil bugs. Gnats. I hate gnats with a passion. Nothing I hate worse than that. And I'll, for whatever reason, they love me. I don't know if it's the shininess of the head or my sweet disposition, what it is, but like me and Crystal, we would take walks with the kids down the sidewalk and no lie. There'd be no gnats around Crystal, but I'd have a swarm like the dude on Charlie Brown with this cloud above his head. She's laughing still at me. My wife would laugh in my face. She would just bust up laughing and point her finger in my face and be like, ha, 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 that, that sort of laugh. And I mean, they just would, I mean, they would be all over me. But, but one night we were playing with the kids outside. I was running around and a gnat flew in my eye. I'm telling you, they hated me. Flew in my eye. And instead of, you know, being smart about it, I smashed it in my eye. Well, you want to talk about pain. 
That was painful. I was on the ground. I was squirming around. I mean, it was bad. Chris was like, let me get that gnat out. I'm like, no, you stay over there. Get away from me. Get away. And finally, I manned up and laid down, and she poured some stuff in my eye, and then it came out. But man, it hurt. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't think. I couldn't function. I just wanted everybody to leave me alone because of this shooting pain in my eyes and this little bitty gnat. I'm afraid sometimes when it comes to seeing what Jesus is up to, we got gnats in our eyes things that seem really insignificant until you start talking about taking them away. And they really block our vision of what Christ is doing in our life and the life of those around us. We're blind to his power, and that's what we see with these Pharisees. Look at verse 13. We'll, we'll begin to move a little quicker as we walk through this, but, so don't worry. We'll get out on time. But verse 13, they, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Remember, Pharisees don't like healing on the Sabbath. It's against their rules. Verse 15. So the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. <laughs> like, okay, let me tell you again. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he, op he has opened your eyes? You're the one who had this miracle happen. What do you say? And so he says, he's a prophet. In verse 18, the Jews did not believe he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. Guys, when we cling to our tradition and our own understanding of God, we are blind to the power of Christ. He's not following my rules. He doesn't fit into my box. Therefore, he cannot be of God. That's what they were saying. They spent all of their time sitting around debating whether or not you should do this or that on the Sabbath. They spent all their time wondering how far they could walk on a Sabbath. They spent all their time trying to make sure everybody fit into their little bitty categories that they had set up along with all their traditions and all their rules. And Jesus comes along and he blows the whole thing up. And they are going nuts. They hate Jesus. They've already decided they're going to kill him and they're trying to figure out a way to do it. And so since this man's born blind and he's healed on the Sabbath, they say he can't be of God because he healed him on the Sabbath. In fact, we don't even believe he was ever born to begin with. When we can't explain what God is doing, sometimes we just try to explain it away, don't we? I don't get this. I don't understand this. I don't, I, I don't really like what's going on, so I'm just going to pretend like what God's doing over there can't be of God. We start worrying about what everybody else is doing and how they're doing it instead of focusing on what God is doing in our heart and in our life and what he wants to do with us. And they are so blind that they won't believe this guy was even blind to begin with until they hear from their parents, from his parents. And so when we cling to our own understanding, we miss the miracle of change in the life of others. Look at verse 19. And so they bring in his parents, and he asked them, they asked him, them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? This dude's in trouble for being healed, right? I mean, it's hilarious when you think about it. Verse 20, his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. In other words, not our problem. We don't want to deal with this. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. 
Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Think about this circus that's going on. Guys, they are so afraid what people think about them, they are embarrassed by the fact Jesus has healed their son who had always been blind. Think about how messed up and how twisted you got to be to be to the point that when Jesus heals someone, you're like, that's your problem, man. That's embarrassing. We ain't trying to get kicked out of synagogue. Like, these people are so entrenched in their own tradition, in their own way of seeing things, that they can't see God at work right in front of them. They are ashamed of the fact that Jesus has worked in the life of their son. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into the same thing. We'll begin to be ashamed of the fact that Christ has changed us, that he has made us new. We'll start trying to downplay our Christianity. Well, those people at school might think differently of me if I start talking about Jesus, if I actually start living out my faith. Those people at work ain't going to like me if I stand on these principles. I don't know if I can do that. I might be kicked out of this synagogue or that, that organization. Don't let social pressure make you blind to what Christ is doing in your life and the life of the people around you. Don't try to explain it away and distance yourself. How sad is this? Instead, do what this guy does. Look at verse 23. I mean 24. Sorry. Verse 24. So for the second time, they, being the Pharisees, called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So they will not accept what they've been told. They are totally and completely stubborn, obstinate. They refuse to see the truth. Verse 25. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. He doesn't go off into everything he doesn't know. He tells them what he knows. I can't tell you. All I know is I was blind this morning, and this afternoon I'm looking at you. That's all I know, man. Hey, that's our testimony. I was blind, and now I see. I don't know how God did this. I just know he did it. Sometimes we get afraid to share the gospel. What if they ask me about Cain's wife? Or what if they you know, ask me about the hypostatic union or the canonic theory? Whatever you want to throw out there. What if they ask me all these questions and I don't have the answer? It don't matter. Your testimony is, I was blind and now I see. I'm a great sinner. Christ is a great Savior. That is our story, guys. That's all we have to know. And as we know that, we learn more and more about who he is. And so he bewilders these blind people because they refuse to see the truth. Look at verse 26. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He's already told them, right? Verse 27. He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple? Now, if you don't know, I, I sort of like sarcasm a little bit. Tiny bit, right? But uh, So when I read it here, I'm like, Man, this dude, I'd love to be friends with him, Right? They're like, how did he do this? And he's like, I already told y'all. You need a sign-up sheet. Y'all want to be part of his, his group? I get you. I'll take care of it. Like, I know him now. Like, I mean, that's sort of what he's doing here. Like, you want to be his disciples too? You want to throw in your lot with us? He, he's kind of being a, a smart aleck a little bit. And so I, I guess that's okay. Who knew? But anyway, but, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, and so he says, uh, do you want to be his disciples too? Look at verse 28. They begin to persecute him. And they reviled him saying... You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Jesus already told them they weren't disciples of Moses because if they believed Moses, they would have believed in him. But they're still trying to separate him. Like, who are you to tell us this? 
Verse 29, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know from where he comes or where he comes from. Verse 30, The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. You religious uppity-ups, you know it all. You think you got it all figured out. You think you have all the answers, and you don't know where this guy came from? He opened my eyes. Like, how do you not know where he's from? You're so blinded. This guy who has no education, no schooling, he's been sitting on the side of the road for his whole life begging, says, y'all don't know where he came from? Are you sure? Look at verse 31. And he goes in to take them to school. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Check. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. He's like, we've never even heard of this. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, you don't see it. No one is healed in this way. There's no, no one else who heals the way that Jesus does. And he says in verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's like, let me boil it down for you guys, make it real simple so you can understand. I'll even talk slow. Only God can do this stuff. And if this guy wasn't from God, he couldn't do this stuff. It seems pretty simple to me. And guys, the truth is, is when we get caught up in our own understanding and our own way of looking at things, and we refuse to see the truth that's right in front of our face, the most simple thing will be like, oh, I don't know. What is God up to? What is he calling me to? Even though it's black and white right in front of your face as you read his word. I don't know. Maybe I should start praying. Right? But, but he refused, they refuse to see the truth because they are blind because of their, their own stubbornness, their own hard hearts. And so, verse 34. Look at verse 34 with me, if you would. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. When you don't have a good argument against someone, what do you do? And tear down their character. They don't, they don't actually go after what the man had said. They go after his character. You were born in utter sin. How are you going to teach us anything? And so instead of receiving this man, they reject him. Instead of rejoicing with him, they reject him. Instead of bringing him in, they banish him. They say, get out of here. We don't want anything else to do with you. And so we see the opposite of this in Jesus. Jesus receives the rejected. He finds the forsaken. He comforts the cast out. I told you I was on an alliteration kick this week. I don't know what the deal is. But, but he finds the forsaken. He receives the rejected. He comforts the cast out. Look at what he says in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus is referencing Daniel. We don't have time to go there. Daniel, where we see the Ancient of Days, we see the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. This is Jesus' favorite designation for himself, the Son of Man. It, it's a messianic term. It's a term that refers to the Christ. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Christ, the Savior? And the man's answer is, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? You notice he's teachable. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. And so we see here that Jesus accepts the abandoned. He adopts the abandoned. Think about Psalm 27. You may read it this way. Though my father and mother or even the religious authorities forsake me, the Lord will receive me. 
I added the religious authorities part, just in case you're wondering. But anyway, you may feel like this morning you've been abandoned. You may feel like you've been forsaken and rejected, and maybe you have. But there's one who will never reject you. There's one who will always receive you and bring you to himself. One who will stay with you forever. Like we sang this morning, he knows your name. He, is, he knows who you are and he will stand with you. When everybody else runs for the hill, Jesus will have your back. He will receive the rejected. And he will teach the teachable. He says, who, who is this son of man that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, it's me. You're talking to him. To which this man says, Okay, Lord, I believe in you. And he worships him. He trusts on him right then and there. We see this, this journey that this man was on. He goes from, he spit on my eyes, to he's a, I, I don't think he could be a sinner, to he's a prophet of God, to he is the Savior of the world. Guys, it shows us that when you first come to Christ, there's a lot of stuff you don't know. And when after you've been walking with Jesus for about 80 years, there's a lot of stuff you don't know. We walk with Him and He teaches us and he, and he encourages us and He changes us. But we never get to the point where we know everything. If you're at the point this morning you know everything, well then you're in the second category. Jesus rejects the religious. He rejects the self-righteous. He rejects the self-important and the self-sufficient. And by religious, I don't mean... Guys, hear me out. I don't mean religion of itself is bad. I mean those who cling to their traditions over and above their relationship to Christ. Look, look at what Jesus says here in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And then verse 40. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? He's like, Are y'all talking? They're like, Are you talking about us? Are we blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Hear what he is saying. He is saying to us, if you think you got it figured out and you don't need me, or if you, don't, if you think you got it figured out and you think you don't need Jesus, there's no hope for you. You are under condemnation. He rejects the self-righteous, self-important, self-sufficient people. If you believe you have no need of him and he has nothing left to teach you, you're in trouble. Maybe this morning you came in even as a believer, thinking you got it all figured out, because it may be time to trade in your tradition on a relationship with Christ. Have your eyes open to His work in your heart and in the heart of the people around you. And begin to say, Lord, where do you want me to serve you? Instead of saying, you could never heal that person or you could never save that person or you could never redeem that person or you could never do this or you could never do that. Let me say, Lord, you have the power to do anything. You made me and I know you can remake me can re, uh, recreate me and trust in Him. Maybe this morning you need to be reminded of who you were before Christ and be reminded of the fact that the only way you're ever going to change is through Him. And pull back on all the things you've been trying to do on your own and trust in Him. Or maybe this morning you came in and you don't know Christ. Maybe you've never put your faith in Him. I'm going to encourage you to do that this morning. Don't walk out of here blind. Don't walk out of here without being changed. He has the power. He is the only one who has the power to redeem you. He's the only one who has the power to change you. That woke you up, didn't it? But that was totally plain, not really. But, but anyway, so, so he has the power to change you, and he's the only one who can. He's the only one who can open up your eyes. And so maybe this morning you need to ask him to save you. Or maybe you just need to ask him to forgive you, forgetting that it is about a relationship with him. And that you can never earn it. That it's all about Him.
you would stand with us. I'm going to pray for us, and after I pray for us, we have a time of invitation, and during that time of invitation, if you would, come forward and let's pray together and let's, uh, let's do business with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the gospel of Jesus this morning. God, I pray that you would work in the hearts and the minds and the lives of the people who are gathered here this morning. God, I pray that we as a church family would continue to grow in our understanding of the gospel and of our sharing of the gospel. Make us compassionate and not curious, God. Make us passionate with our, with our sharing of the gospel. God, make us passionate with our sharing of your love and less passionate about our traditions and our rules. Help us to submit to you this morning and trust on you. God, would you open the eyes of the blind so that we may see. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you come as we sing?